have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Aloha and welcome to the believer's journey. It's so nice to have you back again for another week of uh, Bible discussion and and topics and things. So I want to let you know how much I really enjoy uh, speaking with you, getting your questions, getting your statements back after the show. And um, I want to thank you for all my sponsors and the people who support this uh, ministry. Anyway, today I have a, a very special guest with me. His name is Chet Marco. Chet Marco is probably, well, he is one of my best friends of all time, all life. And um, we've known each other about 21 years. We actually, um, I don't know. Anyway, let me introduce Chet to you and say, let him say hello. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've known each other a long time. We got to know each other in ministry uh, through a singles ministry that uh, I got asked to do. I was helping with the youth ministry. And the pastor said, hey, we have eight people over here that are a singles ministry and we need to launch something. And next thing you, we knew, you know, that grew to like over, over 100, over 100 overnight. And we kept dividing it. So, I mean, if you took all the groups that spun off of that, we probably had about 800. Yeah. Um, but um, the nice thing was, was Alan, you know, it was. It, it grew to such a point that we really needed a lot of help, and Alan jumped in there. He was new to—I think you were new to San Antonio, weren't you? Pretty much. I moved here in the middle of uh, 1999, maybe, or end of 1999. Right. And was probably more qualified to teach the class than me, <laughs> but, you know, it was really neat how he kind of jumped in and very humbly helped me, and uh, we we built a heck of a ministry through all that. It was very cool. In our in our group alone, I, I forget the age. Was it 55 and over, over or 50 and over? Or 35 and older. 35 and yeah. older, see. I've been <laughs> in different groups now. So, yeah. And we had, in our class alone, we had over 100 that sat in there. Yeah. So, and then we did all, then I became the director of the social part of it, activities director. Yeah. So, and it, it really was amazing. It's yeah. a cool group. Right. Well, Chet. The topic we're going to talk about today is a biblical perspective of a blended family. And I know that this is a really tough topic. It's, it's harder than what I thought it was going to be when I thought of it. Chet is probably the most qualified person that I know uh, to speak on this. Uh, Chet, he's been married to his wife, Paige, and Paige and I, Paige is cool. I like Paige. 25 years now. 25 years and um, we were in a, a volleyball. We used to play volleyball on Friday nights, and Paige was always on the opposite side, opposite team, and, and she'd always goad me. You know, it was really cool. So um, she's a neat lady, really neat lady. Well, anyway, um, Chet and Paige, they have seven children between the two. There's, uh, Chet has four biological children and three uh, stepchildren, and between them they have nine grandchildren, and that's growing. Yeah. So growing, growing quite a bit. And uh, so anyway, the reason why I say that, that Chet is probably one of the most qualified people isn't just because he lives the life of a, a father and a stepfather and, and so forth. It's because he's also been heavily involved in ministry through his life. Um, I, his background is he's been involved with a young life. He's been involved with the Wesley Foundation, um, different missions. Talk about that a little bit. Okay. Well, um, I found the Lord in college at Texas Tech. You know, I, I, I think I kind of knew him a little bit before that, but I didn't really fully dedicate my life to Christ until um, in my sophomore year of college. You know, but I had a just a real hunger, had some great mentors that really guided me and led me and um, helped me grow my faith. You know, they, they taught me. You know, it was, it was kind of an interesting mix of men that, that mentored me. I, you know, I had a DTS professor or a guy that really taught me how to study scripture. I had a, uh, a very prominent guy from Asbury Sem Seminary that ran the Wesley Foundation that gave me a lot of opportunities to start speaking and teaching and all that and really helped me 
perfect that. And then I had another guy <clears throat> that ran the Young Life, and he was kind of like my buddy. You know, he was the one that spoke the hard truths to me at times, you know, and loved on me and uh, taught me a lot about being a man, you know. And um, I, I feel, you know, I grew up in a, a family where we had quite a bit of wealth, you know, and, and so, um, you know, my view on the world was very different before. And, you know, it talks about, in, you know, uh, Romans 12, you know, that you go through a transforming of your mind. And that's what it was for me, you know, just kind of taking these gifts that God had given me and learning how to use them uh, to bring glory to the kingdom of God. But went from working with Young Life, uh, found the Lord through the Young Life. But uh, by the end of, you know, my senior year, uh, they asked me to take it over and I was running it at Texas Tech. I was working a lot with the Wesley Foundation subbing for pastors when they uh, went on vacation at Methodist churches around. Uh, got to experience a bunch of different missions. Uh, went to the Appalachian Mountains, worked with the poor up there for a while. Went to Japan, which was, you know, an awesome experience. Um, and then I ultimately, after spending two years as a youth director, uh, went down to Mexico. And we were itinerant missionaries. We were all over um you know, Mexico going in, you know, you know, preaching and, and sharing the word of God, saw a lot of conversion. Uh, it was an awesome experience. And you speak Spanish. Yo puedo hablar en español, pero yo tengo un problema. Mi lingua uh, es muy gringo. You know? <laughs> Mi español es malo. Malo. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically, um, when, when I really thought about doing this program on, on the blended family, um, we've been talking a lot um, in my past couple um, messages about Father, Mother's Day. We talked about the family. And now I think this blended family is really important. Um, I, I think that it, it's so huge that we're going to try to divide this into two sessions. So those of you who are watching, if you watch this first one, we're going to talk about the biblical principles. And I think the second uh, session we're going to have. We're going to talk about, you know, the pitfalls, the abuses, the hurt, the pain that you go through, yeah. through a divorce, through a uh, death, and in the remarriage that people have, that uh, it's so important that we have the healing process because many don't have that. And then we have the the hurt and the pain of, right. of the blended family and why it's such a hardship. All right. So. And, and, you know, I... I you know, just to peel it back one more layer, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, I was in my 30s and then all of a sudden my marriage crashed and it was the last thing in the world I ever expected to happen and didn't know how to speak that language. You know, you know, when I entered my marriage, it was for a lifetime. And, you know, the one thing I realized was how judgmental. I was uh, before about people that have been through divorces. And, you know, the one thing I learned, I mean, divorce is never one-sided. I mean, it's never one-sided, but uh, it takes two people wanting to make the marriage work work. And the thing that it really taught me is you can have a divorce come in your direction and you 100% not want it. And, yeah. and that's, that's a tough deal. And then, and there, there's a brokenness that happens with that. And, you know, I think that, you know, it's somebody screaming from the top of the hill that this person's not worthy of my love anymore. And that's hurtful. That's painful. And so when you get through that, you know, you have to spend some time healing yourself to a point that you're ready to even think about going into another relationship. And um, I didn't do that well. <laughs> I, you know, I... I found my wife, and it was kind of a interesting. Um, we had known each other in college, and um, she loved the Lord. There were, you know, we did the test with the pastor, and you know, the, you know, the pastor said, "How many of these? The, the chances of your marriage making it depend on how many of these fifty things you have in common." And we had forty-seven, you know, which really was good. 
Um, but it still doesn't make it easy trying to blend families. Yeah. It's a it's difficult process. Yeah. Well, and, um, and, and for myself, uh, my history, real quick, then I want to talk about your recent, your last several years, what you do. Um, but in my situation, my parents, they, uh, they split up when I was nine and they divorced when I was 10. I think there was a time period they were maybe wanting to get back together. I have no idea if it was real or not. But my mom remarried when I was 15, so that's five years later. My dad remarried t- two times. Uh, of course, he divorced in between that. So, um, but in the first one he remarried, there were three kids, and we really didn't know them, nor did I get along with my stepmother. And um, then he remarried again. That's divorced and remarried again when I, in 1973. And um, she now is a widow. My father passed away a few years ago. And uh, she has two children. My father adopted one of the boys. Um, and so I have one adopted brother and one stepbrother, as well as the rest of, of my blood brothers. Wow. So we have a real blended family. And I really went through the, the differences because um, of what it was to be a, a stepchild in many different facets of life. And um, then I went through the period of, you know, being a stepfather. And I didn't want to be like my my stepfather. I didn't want to hate my stepchildren or treat them badly. Mm. And I didn't want to, you know, I just want to make sure that they were loved and taken care of as real children, Mm. uh, like my own. So that was a a real big thing for me. Um, But I never had seven. (laughs) You know, it's, um, you know, one of the things that I realized is that you know, my wife's children were a gift to me and that it was a lot of responsibility that was put in my hands and I, that I had to be the adult in the relationship. And, um, you know, I, I, Frank Sinatra had a statement. And I love this statement. I, not biblical, but uh, he said I have, he had five, cho- five children. Two of them were stepkids. And he said, Three of them are my biological children, two are not, but I'm not sure which. And I think that's the way we need to approach it with our kids, you know, is try to love them all unconditionally, equally, and with the same amount of love. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. So anyway, let's get back to you and your life. I know that um, you now have a have a uh, health insurance company. Yeah. You, how long have you had this for? 25 years, I guess. 25? Because well, I know you did. Well, I, I had a license. I had a license before I met my wife. And then I had a little period where I, I, I didn't do it, and then I went back to it. And so okay. its total is about 25 years. I have to let my audience know, when I said you're like one of my best friends, um, I, I would trust trust you with my life. Thank you. I wouldn't trust that you're going to be on time for lunch every time. <laughs> But I would trust you with my life, and, right. and and you're a go-to person for me, and uh, I think that's important to, that we all have that, and uh, I think you know that. Uh, yeah, I do. Thank okay, you. so I think it's important that we all have a person like that. And what's really really cool is that um, uh, if I have a real situation, I need to talk to somebody. You're the person, or one of the people I would definitely talk to, and vice versa. So. And uh, and it hasn't been like everything. Everything hasn't been roses, and we haven't agreed on everything. But even through that, and never we've never had anything major between mm-hmm. us. That's been a negative thing. But you know, little differences. But we've always kept uh, friendship. What's really bad is um, my wife and I were trying to move to the very town you lived in mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, and we looked and looked, and we would go there every day into Bernie and look, and we finally found a place we were going to. We were going to move to, and the and the sales girl with the house just kept not getting back to us. And finally, after about a month, we just said we can't do this anymore. And so, other places that were right around your house were sold, and we couldn't we couldn't find a good place. So it was interesting, but we really tried hard to, to move next year, especially with that new pool you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that pool's loved and enjoyed by many. Yeah. So anyway, you've you've been in ministry. Mm-hmm. 
And you've also been in business and you've owned your own business. In fact, in your health insurance, you have about, what, 30 agents that work under you? Mm -hmm. And you have 5,000 customers, clients. Yeah. Of course, we're one of them. Mm -hmm. One of the neatest things that I have to tell everybody is that when I, w when I first was going to, was approached to have a show, it was, a, it was just a radio show for a half hour. And I didn't want to do it. I was approached and I was asked because I was a Bible teacher and I had no idea who these people were, KSLR, the, who they were, to, who invite me. And when I came on and I did this little show or I did a demo and I went back and I, I thought about it, I said, well, I better not just throw it away and not, not talk about it at all. Let's see what God, where God leads me with this. Um, <clears throat> so I went to my class and I said, I, I don't know if I'm going to be doing this, but pray for this. And Right there in the class, two people who had businesses said, oh, we'll support you. Because it it's not cheap to do air, air show here, air mm -hmm. time. And then, uh, and I was amazed that I didn't even ask for money, I just asked for prayer. And I, I even said I wasn't sure I would do it. And then I called you and I told you, hey, you know, I, I don't know about this, but I wouldn't approach it this way. He says, oh, I'll support you. I mean, without even... And asking, and, and uh, yeah. wow, you're a good teacher. So you you became one of my first uh, sponsors for our show. So well, you and your company you're blessed to be a blessing, right? So, and if you're if you're in Texas and you need health insurance or you want some good guidance, if you go to our website at uh, www.thebelieversjourney.net and go to our guest, you'll find uh, Chet's um, info to contact him right there on the page and see his bio. Okay, so here we are, blended family. Blended families. There, there's something I want to read here. It, it's uh, something from a guy named Ron Deal. Ron Deal is, is, a, is a guy who's well known for his research on blended families and broken families and so forth. And he says this. He says, um, according to his research, approximately one-third of all weddings in America today form step families. Wow. That's a lot. That is a lot. Number two, he says 42% of adults have blended family relationships with either a step parent, uh, a step or half uh, sibling, or a step child. 42%. And the third one is that of those who get divorced, 75% will remarry and 65% will bring children from a previous marriage or union. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, that was one thing that was so fascinating about um, when our pastor asked, asked me to run the singles. Well, I didn't have any experience. I was married. But as we stepped into it, we began to realize that the demographics of a lot of these churches were almost 50% single. And of those single people, it was interesting watching our our um, our ministry because people would come in, they'd start dating, get married, disappear out, you know, yeah. and then new people would come in. But, you know, that there was um, a tremendous amount of people making the process. And, you know, one of the things that we tried to teach against, to teach is that a lot of people, I think, when they go through a divorce, they're emotionally unhealthy and they tend to get into not healthy relationships or tend to fall into another relationship that's very similar to their first relationship. And one of the things we encouraged a lot of those people to do uh, was to go through some of the divorce recovery things because, you know, the divorce recovery is about trying to, okay, look back and do kind of an assessment of what happened. Why did your marriage fail? You know, what can I do different? You know, how did I, did I pick wrong in the beginning or, or, or did I fail to do my obligations as a husband? And so, you know, what we kind of saw is the people that took time to do reflection and become healthy were the ones that tended to have the better second marriages. The ones that rushed from a divorce into a marriage, um, into a new marriage without, you know, doing an assessment were the ones that had the troubles and usually ended up divorcing again. But 
you know, the thing is, is these kids are innocent victims, you know, and, you know, they're coming from a, a traumatic divorce. They're coming from whatever. And, you know, it's it's a real important role speaking at it as a father is that my job is to be very loving toward these new members of my family, to be very forgiving, not feeling like I need to rule over them like a dictator, but trying to win their hearts, win their minds. And, um, you know, and, and I'm a type A personality. And, you know, one of the things that I learned real quick that every once in a while, trying to be the tough man, you know, I want to plant my flag on a hill, you know, and lock down. Well, sometimes, you know, we have to remember that love, you know, Jesus tells us, I mean, not Jesus, or First Corinthians talks about the love conquers all, you know, and that sometimes we love and we pray for situations. We ask for a breaking. And, um, you know, there are times it wasn't easy. You know, I, I was very fortunate. My wife's kids were very young when we blended our families. And um, I think only one time in all the time that we were had the kids at home did I ever get the comment, you're not my dad, you know, kind of a deal. But, you know, I, I think what we have to understand in a blended family situation is that, you know, our job is to love them, you know, that there's always going to be something in children that wants to connect with their biological parent, no matter how bad that biological parent was. But our job is, as the Christ figure in the home, is to love them, to give them direction. Uh, but we can't shove it down their throats. You know, we can love them, show them the way, yeah. and, and try and win it by love, you know. It's interesting, uh, you and I were talking earlier, um, but I'm really involved in the ministry in Moldova. Mm -hmm. And um, in fact, I plan on going there for a month or close to a month um, in November this year. And um, this one particular, this one group that I work with is uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. And there's about <coughs> 70 on staff there. But they, they're all in different groups. Some deal with, you know, sports. Some deals with uh, kids in school, you know, students and so forth. And there's one particular group that deals with uh, family. And these ones with a family, I've learned a lot. I mean, in Moldova, their divorce rate is, is huge. It's, it's out of sight. But getting down to wonder why or find out why this is, we realize that, that um, well, because Moldova is, is the poorest country in all of Europe. And because of that, what happens is a couple get married. They um, have to make ends meet. They have a child or two. And it's like, well, there's not enough money to make here. The average income is between $250 and $300 a month in the city. And it's about $50 or so in the, in the country. Of course, in the country, in the villages, you raise your own food, you grow your own food and stuff, so it might be a little easier. You just, you're, you're just always poor. Mm -hmm. So what happens is the father goes away, and he usually will work somewhere in another country where he can make enough money to support his family, but he's not there physically for at least 10 or 11 months of the year. He's gone. So the children grow up without a father, basically, uh, for the most part. Um, and in many times, the mother will go too. The mother will go into another country, same difference, and then the children get sent off to uh, a relative, an aunt and uncle, a grandparent, and if there isn't one there or if they don't want to handle them, they go off to an orphanage. Hmm. And then what happens is they grow up and they become adults, and then they're, they fall in love and want to get married without any tools whatsoever of how to be a, a husband or a wife, much less a, a father or a mother. And then within seven years or less, there's usually a divorce. Yeah. And, and that's critical. Even in the United States, we have major problems. We have, a, we have major problems with uh, girls uh, having children without a father around. Uh, we have divorces. This rate has is, is been really high for decades now. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a product of, of that. And you grow up and you get married and it's like, 
you know, what's a what's a real family? What's a real husband or father or mother or daughter? I mean, mother or spouse, wife. You don't really know because what you've seen is, you know, a mother who might be an alcoholic or a father who might be totally beating his wife. Or, you know, you see all these things, you know, and it's you, you, when you become that, what do you do? You follow the habits of what you grew up with. And that's what one main problem is in much of the world today, not just in the United States, not just in Moldova, but all over the world, we're having these problems. Um, what do you, what's your take on that? Well, I think it kind of goes back to the comment of your show, The Believer's Journey. And, you know, one of the things is that there's no such thing as the perfect marriage. And a lot of us may have been exposed to something that was far less than perfect. And, you know, The Believer's Journey is about transforming your life to Christ, you know, and allowing the Word of God to, you know, transform you. And, you know, and, um, you know, I know that what I've learned through time, you know, is the Bible says never be harsh to your wife. And, I, you know, I've, I've put that into myself, and I find myself at times where that, that Scripture convicts me. You know, the Bible tells us that we are to love our wives like Christ loved the church, you know, that we are to be kind, that we're to be gentle. You know, we look at 1 Corinthians 13 when it gives us all the, the diagram of the different facets of love. And, um, uh, you know, and where we're trying to become that and, and be that example, not just to our wife or our children, but to our children also. You know, trying to be the example of that love. And, and you know, I think it takes a lifetime to totally get there. You know, I've, I've found that as I've gotten older that, um, you know, I, I was very lucky when we were at that same church together. There was a lady there. Her name was Marguerite Hudson, and she was a wonderful counselor. And, you know, one of the things that she really tried to challenge us to do was to, you know, become more Christ-like. She recommended a lot of books to us. And one of the books that she recommend is How to Love Your Adult Children. And I remember that was a very transforming book to me because, I mean, basically, you have a chance until your children reach 18 to influence their life. But once they turn 18, your relationship becomes a choice. And um, on both sides, you know, if the kid, if, if you so damage the relationship or vice versa when they're young, then they tend to want less to do with you in their older age. And, um, um, and what I've found <clears throat> is that, you know, once they leave, you know, I, you know, one of the things that the book that Marguerite gave us talked about that, you know, that if we feel like we need to impose our religious beliefs on our children and they're pushing away from it, we need to back off, okay, and just love them and be an example to them. And hopefully the windows will open up where they will ask us what we think and what we believe but one of the most awesome things she said to me is she goes, you know, Chet, God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children. All right. Meaning that um, that once they leave us, they become God's children. And once they become God's children, our job is to pray for them. Our job is to uh, love them. Our job is to be there, you know. But we can't force our beliefs on them because we're going to repel them. But to be enough love to where they want to know what we have to say. Okay. Anyway. No, what do you think? That was good. Yeah, thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, I know that when I was a, a child, when, I was, when my mom married uh, my stepfather, um, the guy was like six foot, six and a half. He was tall. <laughs> but um, he, he actually... I think because I was, I ran the streets a lot. My mom was not home very often at all. And so we were pretty rowdy as, as a group of kids. There was five of us. And he didn't know how to handle us. 
number one. Number two, there's a couple of us that were just really rowdy, and I was one of them. And so um, I hit my stepfather when I was 15 because he was choking my little brother, and, and so I, I knocked him out. Wow. And from then on, he said he hated me. Wow. And, uh, and I moved out when I was almost 17. And um, so basically, um, I didn't, I grew up with a stepfather who, who never liked me, basically. Mm. Now, as I would, grew up as an adult, you know, even I, I didn't visit my mom a lot. And when I started to, I realized, you know, my stepfather was a good guy. He may not have liked me. And he told me why he didn't like me. He says, because you took my authority away when you hit me. I says, well, that's not really true, but okay, I could, I could handle that. Yeah, choking is not authority. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. But um, when, I, when I was there and I saw my, my mother and, and him argue, I mean, most of the time he was right. He was in the right. And I respected him. And I told him, you know, because I would tell my mom, you're in the wrong. You know, of course, she didn't like that, but I would tell my stepfather, I, 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 you're, in, you're in the right, and I wanted to let you know that I stand by you. Mm-hmm. It was eventually, several years later, when he finally came to me and said he respected me. He asked me to stay at their home one time and respected me because I always made a life for myself without the help of my parents and so forth. And that that was his thing. He went to UCLA. He was all about being right, you know, the way you are, where you're supposed to live. So it was really interesting, but it was real hard. It was real hard to, to, how do I become a parent? Well, the the only way that I understood was when I was living with our pastor, my pastor, Lon Ekdahl, you know, here they are having dinner together. They're praying together. They're both Lon and Diana, you know, they would each individually would go and lay down. They had four kids. They go to their bedrooms and, and talk to them, share with them, pray with them, and then the other one, they, you know, switch off. And they they had spent time with their kids. Sunday after church, Diana would make you know these root beer freezes. You know, everybody got together, and it was just a family. And and I never experienced that in my life. Hmm. And I think if I hadn't experienced that, I probably would have, you know, I still wouldn't have any clue of what a family would be like. They. They drilled in me without realizing what they did, what what a normal life was, right. you know. And I, I I came out of a very dysfunctional situation. Um, the Bible says something um, in Genesis two twenty four and also in Matthew uh, nineteen five. It says that. Um, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One of the things I think is so important that we forget, not only as we people as Christian people, but the ministers and teachers and counselors that have to deal with these, these situations, is that God only established the marriage as probably the, the most important relationship just below the relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, And in that relationship, God still needs to be the center of that relationship, that marriage. What I find a lot of times is when we look at homes that are blended homes with stepchildren and, and so forth, is that um, you either have child claiming that one of the parents is not their parent and there's a, a rift or a, a real hard time or you have a parent who has the biological child and tells the new spouse by the way this is my child not yours and I will go ahead and discipline and raise them right. and I think that you know if we have new people or new couple get together and they have children you know, that are not their biological children come into the marriage, they still have to realize that the God did not ordain a father or mother and a child like they did a husband and wife. And I really believe that the, the answer to a lot of the problems comes within the bonding and the relationship of the husband and wife. 
What do you think? I agree with that. <clears throat> um, you know, and I think, um, you know, I see so many men that feel like it. They have to be authoritative in their home. They got to be the man. They got to be the strong guy. But sometimes I think they forget that being the guy that apologizes or being the guy that asks for forgiveness can be as strong of a message, you know. And <clears throat> I know that my uh, stepson, and it's kind of funny, he's a off-the-chart type A personality like me. And we got along really well, but at times we butted heads pretty hard, you know. And I remember, and, you know, I had a, a time that I I feel like I acted badly. You know, I was... Um, uh, I was really tired. I was laying down, and he needed me, and he came and in a very um, probably not nice way woke me up, you know, and I jumped up and grabbed the kid and threw him on the couch, you know, and I was kind of upset with the way that he woke me up. And But what was interesting is that happened when he was like 11 years old, but as a 28-year-old man, it was cemented in his mind. And he brought it up to me, you know, when we were sitting around. And, you know, I, I could have tried to justify it. But honestly, what I realized was that I hurt him deeply. You know, it, he, did, he didn't expect that from me. It wasn't Christian behavior. That's not the way Christ would have acted. And I just, it was really funny, he brought it up, and you could see the anger in him. And the minute I said, you know, Balin, I owe you an apology. I'm sorry. You know, I acted badly. And, you know, there's no excuse for the way I acted. Would you please forgive me? And it was weird to watch this tense, you know, like, you know, you know I think sometimes kids, when they're, growing up and trying to figure themselves out emotionally will look back on a moment and say, you know, that's why I'm screwed up or whatever it is. But, you know, it was interesting to watch that, that tension in him melt away. And it's never been brought up since because I took the time to humble myself and seek his forgiveness for what I did wrong, you know? Yeah. And I wasn't right, you know? And it doesn't mean, well, you did this or you did that. No, that's on me. You know, I own it. Let me tell you. You know, and, and going back to my business, you know, that's the way I run my business. If I mess up, I own it. You know, and I think that's a Christian principle that we all have to live by, especially in our families, you know, to, to have the humility to be able to admit when you're wrong and not feel like you always have to be right, you know, and you know, to self-evaluate, you yeah. know, part of our growth in Christ. There's a, uh, a statement that I read that uh, you have, and I think that uh, I put it on your, on my website, and I think this is, I call it your motto of life. I don't know if you oh. read this. Oh. It says this, Jesus guides my every move in my family and business. I only hope that I can be worthy, a worthy example of him. Oh. I read that on your Facebook, right yeah. under your pages, and I yeah. thought, Wow, that is a cool statement. Thank you. So well, you yeah. wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that, you know, that what I've kind of learned in life is that um, we're not perfect. And people are attracted to humility more than they are to, um, you know, bombastic or people that feel like they always got to be right. You yeah. Know? And, you know, um, and I'm a big man. I'm, I'm six foot four. At one point, I was over 300 pounds. You know, I was uh, I'm about 245 now. But, um, you know, I have to be super careful um, because just walking up on somebody, you can intimidate them. And, you know, you have to learn how to, you know, I guess not... Intimidate, you know, but yourself. Yeah. So, 
Well, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, when I was, uh, when Susan's daughter lived at home, uh, she had a habit of screaming and screaming. And I remember. Yeah. <laughs> so one one time, I, uh, she got in trouble, and I sent her upstairs, and she stood at the at the rail, and she started screaming as loud as she could. And so finally, I says, "You continue to scream, you're grounded for a week." And so she did. So I said, "You're grounded for a week." And so she screamed some more. And I says, okay, now you're granted for two weeks. Do you want more? <laughs> <laughs> and then she went to her room. Well, then Susan and I, Susan came up to me later and said, I think you might have been a little too, given her a little too much, you know. So I ended up having to go into her room and tell her, okay, I overdid it. You know, you got me, oh. got me angry, you know. And uh, so usually either, either I took away the whole punishment or I, or I lessened it down to what it should have been. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when we get, you know, overreactive, you know, I was raising my nephew. Uh, talk about a hard situation. I was raising my nephew, and uh, and when when he made me angry, you know, I had learned something before then. I would tell him, "Go to your room. I'll be in there in a few minutes to give you a swat." And so he would go in there, and I knew I was so furious. That you go to his room, he close the door. I go get a bowl of ice cream. <laughs> I needed, I needed to calm down. I need, I couldn't, I couldn't go in there angry. My dad came into me angry, and he beat me. My, my mom hit me just out of anger, and I knew that I needed to, you know, curve that somehow. So I ate my ice cream. I was a happy camper. Walked in. Do you know why you're going to spank him? No, I'd explain it to him. Give him a couple swats. Make sure I didn't have it in my hand. Do you want a hug? You know, I love you. And because it, it was about, I learned that it was about discipline, not not punishment, not beating. And that's what I received. I didn't receive a lot of discipline of learning. Mm-hmm. I, I received a lot of hitting because of being angry. And um, so I tried to change that. One other situation, I was married once before to a girl who passed away. And um, we were living in Hawaii. And she had a son, and he was so funny. One day, you know, he was going to get a swat. I swat, I give a swat with a paddle, and then I toss it across the bed, make sure it's gone. But I would never hit hard, but enough to sting, right? Mm-hmm. So one time he's in there, and I noticed that he had patted his rear end. <laughs> so I was just going to go with it, let it happen. So I gave him a swat, and I just put the threw the thing aside, and, it, and I just was going to let it go. And then he laughed and says, ha, 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 that didn't hurt. Well, what do you mean? Well, then he told me, I go, well, you know what, now I can't let it go. And so uh-huh. I, had, I took it out and gave him a swat. But I wouldn't let it go just because I thought that was pretty clever. And I think we have to go with that. We have to let them be where they can be happy kids. We, we have to allow that to be kids and, and grow up without fear. I remember one time um, I was given a, I was a youth director, and I gave a speech, I gave a sermon to the congregation, and I remember this example where they said, okay, everybody put up your hand, and let me see if, where I'm at, oh, there we are, there we are, okay, make a circle, okay, like this, and then, you know, then they said, okay, Here's, I'm looking at the, the congregation. I go, I want everybody to take this circle. And I said, I want you to put it on your chin. And everybody put it on their cheek, just like this. And I said, I told you to put it on your chin. And, you know, um, and I said, this is a perfect example of why kids imitate what you do, not you, what you say. Okay? And so I, I think there's a powerful... We have an extreme, um, you know, we need to live our lives as an example for our children, our stepchildren, our regular children, because they're seeing what we do more than they hear what we say. Yeah. And um, that we're to be examples of love, of forgiveness, of kindness, of marriage, of parenting, you know, go out and have a good time, but, you know, to have boundaries, you know, you know, that 
if you have no boundaries, your kids will have no boundaries, you know, and uh, to teach them how to face the world, you know, yeah. they're following our example, the way we live our lives. Yeah. Yeah, I think the stronger the marriage, strong, stronger the marriage is, the stronger the family, the stronger the whole yeah. group of the kids will be and the whole family would be. Right. You know, it's interesting. I've read a lot uh, in searching on blended family situations. There are a lot of writers that that will say there's nothing in the Bible that talks about step-parenting or blended families. or And this is totally wrong. This is not even <clears throat> accurate. We look at blended families. We look at, you know, Jacob. You know, with Jacob had, you know, Two wives and two concubines, basically, and had children with all four of them. Mm-hmm. Had twelve kids, twelve boys at least. Mm-hmm. We have David, who had sixteen wives and several children. I mean, these are blended families, and they all work together in this blended family. Jesus Himself, you know, it's a blended family. He was his father was not Joseph, mm-hmm. yet he honored Joseph and he was respectful to Joseph and he obeyed Joseph, and he had at least four step or half brothers and at least two step half sisters and so this is a a situation so we have to know how to live in these situations and the bible gives us basic you know guidelines and principles when you talk about having a certain principle in your business you know where do you find it same principles that talk about how we deal with people and it's not any different in the family i think that it's important that we see when god says like in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. I mean, there's a whole couple chapters there. First off, he starts with the husband and wife, how they need to connect, how they need to live with one another, and then goes into the children, you know, and how they need to, to obey and be obedient and live with the parent. And even how the father needs not to, you know, uh, treat the children, with, you know, so they get upset with them and, and grow up with animosity. I think it's so important. It's all over the Bible. And I think that we need to see that the principles are still there. They may not talk about so-and-so was a stepchild, but Jesus was a stepchild. Right. We, know, we know that for a fact. Right. You know, we know that they were blended. When, when uh, Jacob, when Rachel died, you know, Joseph automatically became, you know, a stepchild to Rachel, his aunt. I mean, Leah, Leah his aunt, and Benjamin. So, you know, we have this. You know, and I think it's important that we see this and we honor the fact that when somebody is in charge, when somebody is a parent, when somebody is a child, we live in the same principles of love, of getting together. Even the Christians, we are stepchildren to the Jews. Mm-hmm. We're stepbrothers and sisters, I should say. We're grafted in. We are adopted by God. I like that principle. We are. We're adopted by him. And Romans says we're grafted in to mm-hmm. what? Where the Jews are. We are grafted in. We are the stepchildren. And in the very first hundred years of um, Christianity, actually it was Judaism. Mm-hmm. You had the Jews followed Jesus. Paul goes out and, and talks to the Gentiles. They come in, and it's a combi- combination of Judaism following Jesus as the Messiah. And when the Jews decide, we don't want to do this anymore with you, you know, you stepchildren, you, you won't even follow the laws that we want to, we're out. And they left the, the Gentiles alone, and they went off to do their own thing. Hmm. And I see that the principles are still there. Yeah. Well, do you think that falls more on the, the parent side or the child side? Well, the parents should have a little more wisdom than a child, Right. And when we talk about if the parent, you know, um, if the father and mother with stepchildren, okay, they should have their act together. One of the problems that I think you know, and you talked about this in the very beginning, is people get out of relationships and they tend to marry without being, uh, becoming whole without uh, the healing process. Or even allowing their kids to go through the exactly. same healing process. And, and, and there's a lot of hurt. There's something I wrote in here. Um, I think I found this in um, in uh, Focus on the Family. Uh, it says that there's, there's five biggies, is what he calls it, you know, that people go through. 
and five emotions that uh, we go through when a family goes through a death or a divorce. And this is what they are. Number one, loss. You know, whether it's a divorce or whether it's a death, we go through loss. Number two, sadness. Number three, fear. Number four, guilt. And number five, confusion. Now, that's not any different from a child to an adult. The adult goes through this also. We can't separate that out. I'm sure when you were divorced, you went through these five things. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think it goes kind of back to the, um, I remember after my divorce, feeling broken, broken, just totally broken. And um, not knowing which way was up. You know, I remember I was very emotionally unhealthy. And, you know, and it was uh, probably difficult for my children to see me in that state, you know. And um, and I think, you know, we need to give our kids some leadway in that situation because I mean, they're going through the same emotional process that we're going through. Yeah. You know, and... Um, um, the other thing is, 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 you know, I, I think of the scripture that the Lord will restore the years the locusts have eaten. And, you know, is a, um, that God wants us to be healthy. You know, just because you went through a divorce, he didn't expect you to spend the rest of your life as a damaged, broken, uh, punished, you know, human being. That, that God wants to restore the years um, uh, that, you know, he want the years that the locusts have eaten, that he wants to come in and take a broken situation, heal it, apply God's principles, and hopefully, you know, in the next marriage, we bring those principles into that marriage. And honestly, you know, I mean, my, my second wife and I, I mean, we had a pretty rough... Um, first couple of years while we were trying to figure everything out. But I can honestly say that after 25 years, I'm more in love with my wife than I've ever been. You know, that I'm, you know, that she takes very good care of me and I try to take very good care of her. I try to be kind. You know, I try to um, be gentle and to think of her needs and stuff like that. And I think as I've gotten older, I've become better at it. Than I was when I was a younger man, and I even see that with my stepchildren. Um, you know, you know, I had a pretty good relationship with them. We've had times where it was really rough, but you know, I, I really see now that God's given me multiple opportunities to heal things that weren't so great. Yeah. You know, and um, and give me a chance to love on them and try and bring them back, you know. And, and uh, um, But the thing that I've learned, I think, through it all is First Corinthians, you know, uh, 13. You know, and there's, there's a part in First Corinthians 13 that talks about uh, when I became, you know, a man, I put away childish things. And, you know, love conquers all. And, you know, I've seen some great, Pastors give some great sermons on on putting away childish things, you know, that you put away those childish hurts. You put away those childish um, things that people did to you. And you try to heal yourself and become the person that Christ wants you to be so that you can be an example of his restorative love, of of his kindness, uh, you know, of... of, um, and that allows us to lead people back to the Lord. You asked me a question about whether it be the parents or the children on that one particular point. I think that if parents would be responsible before they remarry to go through, let's say, these these areas and heal, then when they marry, they can be the teachers by not just teaching them what they is, but by, by the habits of how they treat one another to their children and stepchildren. Mm-hmm. I think that will process. I think that um, uh, I have a couple of scriptures here that's really interesting. Um, for example, Romans 5, 8, it says, God showed us his love for that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Mm-hmm. You, you know, we were basically apart from him, and he still loved us. And I think that's important to, to for all parents to understand that, and even children. You know, as you become adults, you know, uh, teenagers and, and more, you should realize what these scriptures mean in a, in the sense that God is is the one who really extends his behavior for us, then we need to mimic that. You know, I think that's important. Uh, there's another thing, too, I think it's important for to understand as a blended family. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, every kingdom divided, it's divided against itself will be in ruin, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. So before families come together, they really need to see what they're bringing together and who they can be to the children that are going to grow up in that family. And what are they? I mean, the Bible says that children are a gift of the Lord. Okay? We raise them. And as they, we raise them and, and basically put them out back out in the world, they're to be someone who exemplifies what God is, who God is in their lives. Well, and also I think <clears throat> that, you know, going back to, you know, not giving the devil a foothold in your home. And, you know, um, I, you know, I go back to the parable of the strong man, you know, of being bound and the strong man's taking things from your home. Okay. And I, I think that we have to go back and constantly be doing a fearless inventory of our homes, you know, asking ourselves, am I giving Satan a foothold in my home? Mm-hmm. You know, that where, you know, first James talks about all sin begins with a thought, you know, that when that kid gets emotionally injured or the emotional injury that he's bringing into his home and you know, that thought is sitting in his brain and just festering, and it becomes sin, okay? And and that's a difficult thing. You know, that's part of the brokenness of this world. I think it's the brokenness that uh, we as parents um, try to, to heal that, help them heal that. Uh, but, you know, as, as we become adults, we have to get to a point where we let it go. You know, yeah. we let it go, that we ask God for healing and all that. So, Well, I know that in some steps, parenting relationships, mm-hmm. you know, you can have, um, in the family, you can have a stepmom and a stepdad who are totally, you know, like I had. My, my stepfather's totally at odds, totally apart, had nothing to do with me. Um, he took my two younger brothers to baseball. I never experienced that. So yeah. it was just what it is. But you have other step families that they're bound they're bound and close and they're loving. In fact, sometimes I've seen some step parent and stepchild be closer to one another than their actual biological yeah. parent. And I think that's, you know, really, really important. That boils down to trust. Well, yeah, and, and love, mm-hmm. you know. And I think you're right. Trust, honor. Honor is probably, you know, I've been talking a lot about honor through a lot of my uh, programs here. And I think honoring is one of the most important things that we, we give. We, we lose that sense of honor uh, to our spouses, to our parents, to our children. And I think if we, we realize what honor really is, I think that starts to filter and starts to become part of society. You know, I think that's really important. So... Um, anyway, I think we've done a good job about talking about, you know, the things in, in a blended family. One of the problems we've had in, in all of these blended families, because usually the divorce rate is higher in a second marriage than it is in the first marriages. And because there's a lot of stuff that's gone on, abuse and hurt and shame and, and things that don't get healed. Um, so I want to do a second show with you and talk about, uh, abuses and the hurts and the, the lack of healing and the healing we need 
to help. And what causes a lot of this is to see if we can nip some of this in the bud to help our viewers, our pastors and missionaries that watch us, to have a good sense of where to go and what to do and, um, and, and, our, and a good biblical foundation to bring to yeah. families. What yeah. do you think? I think uh, I think that's extremely important. And when we ran our singles ministry, you know, it, it came it was oh, in yeah. the center every day. You know, in dealing with these people and, that are trying to heal these hurts that have happened. That was really tough. You and I, we we it's exhausting. Dealt. It was. Yeah. Well, that's it for our program today, and. Um, so we'll continue this, and uh, hopefully we get it back on in the 16th, and so we'll work with that. Everyone, you just all have a wonderful day, and thank you for joining us, and aloha. Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the Word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com.